Hi, Library 2.0, Steve Albrecht here. I'm with Dr. Mark West. Mark is a professor of English at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. We're talking with him today about his book, Theodore Roosevelt and his library at Sagamore Hill, which was where he lived and had his long life there. And so Teddy Roosevelt's always been a very interesting character to me. Uh, Dr. Mark West has a, a number of books out, including uh, uh, two books on on that are kind of related to this, which we'll talk about. Uh, the companion book to the to the Sagamore Hill book. Mark, thanks for being with us today on Library 2.0. Oh, it's my pleasure. I I always like talking about TR. And and as a subject, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you think about FDR, you know, being so well known for the war years and the multiple presidencies and 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 his life in in that so, such a historic time. Why do you think Teddy Roosevelt has has resonated with people, books, documentaries? Uh, photos and memes on the internet. Why do you think he's resonated so well? Well, Theodore Roosevelt lived a very multifaceted and colorful life. So no matter really what you're interested in, you can almost find a way to relate it to Theodore Roosevelt. So if you're an outdoors person, you can relate to Theodore Roosevelt in his camping and his hunting and all of that sort of thing. If you are like me, a book-oriented person, well, then you can resonate with uh, that side of Theodore Roosevelt. If you're really interested in politics, well, he was one of the most influential politicians that we've ever had in this country. Um, if you're interested in military history, he has a really strong background in that, especially in the naval area. But, you know, that whole business about uh, the Rough Riders, that appeals to a lot of people. Um, so I think one of the reasons why he's he is still an interesting person to many people is that there are so many different sides to him and they're authentic. They're, they are actual things that were important to him. And so you can you can figure out a way to hang your own hat on uh, Theodore Roosevelt hook. Uh, and I certainly have. Um, so that is, uh, I think, one of the reasons. And also his life was just so colorful. He lived his life at hyperspeed. Um, we tend to think of him as somebody you actually just said his long life, but it really, in the context of his time, it was a regular life. He died at the age of 60. We would consider that kind of young today. Sure. But the amount of things that he crammed into those 60 years is almost unbelievable. Uh, I mean, of all the presidents in the United States, the one who wrote the most books was Theodore Roosevelt. He published over 40 books. And he wrote those books himself. He didn't have some ghostwriter writing a book and then he would just slap his name on the cover. He actually wrote them. Now, sometimes he would dictate them. Uh, he was very good at dictation. But um, but it, when you read a book by Theodore Roosevelt, you're reading his writing. It's not something that was prepared for him. He had some help with research on occasion, but... Um, it's one of the things I find really fascinating about him is how much he crammed into his life uh, during the 60 years that he had. Yeah, when you look at at the subjects of presidential, um, um, you know, presidents that came down the road from from that point forward, we think of Lincoln and perhaps Grant because of the war and, and FDR, certainly. But he's got to be one of those those presidents that a lot has been written about him, a lot has been been said about him in 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 TV programs, documentaries, and things like that. He's got to be up up there in the in the top ten, I would think, of presidents. Oh, you know? more than that. Um, I mean, there's so many, and he's still contemporary with us. He still deals with issues that are important to us. Uh, you know, the um, 
amazing role that he played with the establishment of the national park uh, system that we have. He didn't. He wasn't the first person to do that, but he was the most influential person in terms of the um, number of parks and san wildlife sanctuaries and bird sanctuaries and and other types of nature preserves that he created um, and pushed through in all sorts of interesting kind of clever ways that he was able to get past the uh, reluctant Congress, um, use the Monuments Act and things like that to make things happen. Um, but, you know, that's something we still care about today. Um, he was uh, somebody who was in some ways uncorruptible. And that was one of the things that I think um, made him kind of mysterious to the politicians of his day, um, where you had so much political corruption in place, uh, you, you know, with the payoffs and all of that sort of thing. And that was something that it didn't matter to him. Um, and he was born into money and it, it didn't, he wasn't, he he wasn't um, tempted by those sorts of temptations like so many other people were. One of the things that he was instrumental in was creating a uh, system in terms of uh, governmental service that was based more on merit than on connections, uh, based more on uh, competent work rather than kind of a political payoff. Uh, when he was brought in to be the police commissioner in New York, well, at that time, the New York police uh, whole department was just riddled with corruption. Um, but, you know, he came in and and was untempted by all of that. And I think on some level, uh, you're talking about his influence today. Uh, but um, his work as the police commissioner, if you ever watched the TV show Blue Bloods, sure. um, if you look in the office uh, of Commissioner Reagan, there's always a portrait of Theodore Roosevelt on the wall. Right. And and if you look at um, um, his time span, wasn't he a, around the Teapot Dome scandal? And that was sort of influential for for some of his thinking about corruption, especially when he was in Albany. And and and, and it was a Teapot Dome scandal. I think that was around that same time, was it not? The Teapot Dome scandal was a little bit after that. But um, but he was um, he, he wasn't responding to other other scandals that uh, were sort of par for the course back in those days, and he really tried to uh, figure out a way to um, respond to that. Sure. And uh, and so uh, he had a lot of impact. But you know, when he became when he was uh, the governor of New York, um, he was very popular at the time. He had a national rep reputation because of um, because of the uh, Rough Riders business in, in, in the war in Cuba. But um, but the Republican Party of the time didn't know what to do with him because he was sort of not beholden to the system, to the machine that was really how those political parties operated back in those days. But they didn't know what to do with him because he had he was so popular. So they said, oh, I know. We'll make him the vice president. And then, you know, because back in those days, the vice president basically did nothing. But then shortly after he became vice president, the assassination of McKinley took place and suddenly he was uh, propelled into the presidency. Sure. So they uh that whole situation was not how the political operatives thought it was going to turn out. 
So we're, we're talking with library people and, and library leaders and staff. And so how did you do a lot of your research for the for the project besides the Internet? You probably had to do some pretty deep dives into some historical research books and and the kind of the genealogy of his life. Yes, but I did a lot of the research at his home, uh, Sagamore Hill in um, in uh, Long Island next to the town called Oyster Bay. So my interest in Theodore Roosevelt and his library um, started about 10 years ago in a roundabout way. So my specialty is actually children's literature and the history and culture of childhood. So my PhD is in American studies. I'm an English professor, but I have a strong interest in history, especially American history. So um, one of the things, one of the authors, the children's authors I like is a man named Kenneth Graham, who wrote The Wind in the Willows. And I discovered that Kenneth Graham and Theodore Roosevelt were friends and frequently corresponded. And after Theodore Roosevelt was no longer president, he went to England and visited Kenneth Graham and they corresponded back and forth. And this intrigued me. It's like an American president interested in the Winnie the Willows. How did that happen? So I, I took an interest in that and I started doing research on Theodore Roosevelt's interest in children's literature. And lo and behold, it was real. It was sincere and it was in depth. He knew a lot about children's literature. He read children's books. He cared about, he knew Lewis Carroll. He would quote from Hunting of the Snark. He was really engaged in children's literature. Um, and so I went to Sagamore Hill trying to find out, well, what children's books were in the house? What children's books did, he, did they have for their own children? Because, you know, they had, he had a big family. And uh, that's how I got to know the people at Sagamore Hill which is nowadays a National Park Service site. So Sagamore Hill, is, is it sort of a default uh, a presidential museum for him? Uh, his, I mean, kind of captured the way he lived back then. It's, it's, it's well, it totally captures the way he lived. Yeah. Um, it's his home. It's his, it's his, it's the home that he and his wife uh, lived in for their entire adult life. And uh, it was a, um, what was amazing about that, what is amazing about that home is that after he died, um, uh, his wife continued to live there for another 20 years, but she honored um, his books in his library. She was an avid reader herself, and uh, she had her own room with her own books, but um, she left his books largely undisturbed in his, what he referred to as his library, but that's a misnomer because the whole house was a library. If you go to Sagamore Hill today, and you can, it's open to the public, um, almost every room has bookshelves in it. Um, and where the books are located within the house uh, tell you different things about him and his family and his interests. And so um, I went there initially just, just to find out about his interest in children's books. But, but my interest in authors' homes, I have, a, I have an interest in authors' homes, and I published a book about that. But um, I became interested in all of his books. Well, you can look into the rooms. If you, go, if you were to go there, you could look into the rooms, but you know, they're cordoned off, and you can't really go in. But I wanted to see the books. Uh, I have this uh, character flaw, uh, I think it might be a character flaw, 
which is uh, if I visit somebody and there's a little lull in the conversation, I'm gravitating toward their bookshelves. I'm looking at what books does this person have? How are those books clumped together? And what do, what do these books, you know, that there's an old saying, the clothes make the man. Well, I think really much more it's the books that make a person. And if you look at their books, the books that are important to them, the books that they display prominently, they are in a sense making a statement about themselves. In fact, we see that today in this world of Zoom. Um, uh, I see you right at this very instant in our interview. There's a bookshelf behind you. I'm trying to make out the titles of the books, but I can't. I've, I've, I've stolen that from Hemingway. This is Hemingway's uh, house in Key West. Yeah. So I'm a Hemingway oh, guy, oh, and so I, I oh, use oh. the background. I took this picture. It's it's his uh, his home in Key West there, and we were there many years ago and looking at his as uh, six toed cats. And so yeah, I'm a big Hemingway guy. I agree completely with you because. I, you know, if I look at my own bookshelf in my home, it, it's got stratas. It has, you know, this era, I was interested in this kind of sports and this interested in this type of fiction and that. And, you know, here's the books I have, my cookbooks or my books on how to fix things. And it, it's, it's you know, a puzzle to me. And perhaps you think about this as well, which is you look at libraries and and the movement towards the Kindle books and the electronic books and how libraries can give access to those things uh, from people that, that don't want to go to the library, which is great. But you know, you and I are of the belief that the physical book exists and needs to continue to exist. So, I mean, that's something certainly that Teddy Roosevelt thought about. It's, you know, the, the physical book needs to exist in a place that people can go and see. Yes, it was very important to him. The physical book itself was important to him. Um, another thing that was important to him related to that was he always understood that there is a person behind every book. Uh, and he would be intrigued by, he would read a book a day he really read a book a day, even wow. when he was president. He would he would he he was a fanatical reader, and his eyesight was not very good. He would oftentimes read a book with a book really close up to his face. Um, but he had a what we sometimes refer to as a photographic memory, uh, which was a little uncanny and disturbing to some of his friends because he would say, "Oh, it's, you're Steve. Yeah, I read that Safe Libraries book you wrote." Um, but, you know, I thought on page uh, 55 where you said, um, and then you would start rattling off and, and you would think, uh, I wrote the book and I couldn't possibly do that. <laughs> wow. But you could do that with book after book after yeah. book after book. It was, uh, it was just a weird gift that he had. Um, but what he would do if he liked a book, if there was a book that appealed to him, he would... It, and when he was president, he could almost do these command performance things um, and say, oh, well, I like this book that Owen Wister wrote. Hey, Owen, show up. I want to talk to you about the Virginian. Um, and of course, he would show up because he was the president. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then he would uh, have people over for dinner and talk to them about the book and question them about it. And really, in some ways, engage not only with the book, but with the author of the book. That you had to really be on your toes. You, you couldn't come in and sort of just say, oh, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I got to study before I meet with the president. He's going to quiz me. No, you you had to be on your toes. And he he, um, he, he would judge you if you screwed up. Um, so apparently one of the stories I've liked, uh, Lewis Carroll, of course, we know for uh, Alice's Adventures of Wonderland and uh, Through the Looking Glass, but he wrote this long extended poem called The Hunting of the Snark, which Theodore Roosevelt liked poetry and he knew that poem really well, better than I know it. 
Um, and in one of his cabinet meetings, he quoted from The Hunting of the Snark. And there's a line in it that says, if I say something three times, then it is true. Um, and so he quoted that in the meeting and none of the people in the cabinet understood what the heck he was talking about. And this bothered him. It's like, what? People are all illiterate. Um, he was friends with Edith Wharton, the famous American writer, and she liked Lewis Carroll too. And uh, he had her over for dinner one time and he said to her, she recalled in her autobiography, um, you know, he was pleased that I could catch he liked it if somebody could catch his literary allusions and references. And uh, if you could keep up with him, he, he enjoyed that. He kind of enjoyed the, the almost, it was almost like a game to him. If you think about his uh, interest in children's books, is he foreshadowing the value of education there and, and literacy and, and the need for nationwide literacy and the fact that, an, you know, an educated public. And I mean, is that is that what he was sort of his goal and in, in, in putting value behind children's books? It's a stepping stone. In a way. Yes, I think in a way it was important. One of the things that was important to Theodore Roosevelt was uh, he had a very pro-immigrant stand, but maybe not the way we think of it today. Um, he was. Uh, you know, friends with Jane Addams and was a frequent visitor to Hull House, if you remember her famous book, 20 Years at Hull House. Um, but he was very supportive of trying to improve the lives of, of immigrants. And of course, the time period of his adulthood was when we had these great waves of immigrants from different parts of the world. And he would welcome them, but he always felt that an immigrant population should not renounce their heritage, but embrace uh, being an American. And for one of the ways in which Theodore Roosevelt felt that it was you know, useful for somebody to embrace the country that they had moved to was through reading and becoming familiar with the literature of America. He was really interested in in American literature. He was well-read. He read all sorts of things. He knew a tremendous amount of European literature and literature from all over the world, but he really put an emphasis on American literature, and he promoted the use and reading of American literature in schools as a way to kind of cultivate, uh, we are a young, we still are a young country in the grand scheme of things, but a sense of national cultural identity. He would talk about that on frequent occasions. Um, so that was part of his interest in uh, children's literature and promoting children's literature was to encourage uh, kids to, to, um, to read American literature and figure it out and figure out their place in it. Uh, it was uh, part of his initiative. It was also though something that uh, he, he greatly promoted literature with his own kids. Uh, he read aloud to his kids and his wife read aloud as well. Um, when he wrote a, there was a book that was published right after he died uh, that has, that was called uh, Letters to His Children, Theodore Roosevelt's Letters to His Children. And I own that book. But um, if you look at those letters, he's making constant references to books that they had read. Um, uh, one of the uh, books that he liked, he liked Joe Chandler Harris, and he liked the Br'er Rabbit stories, and he would oftentimes make references to Br'er Rabbit or some of the other characters from those stories. So um, for him, it was a way to uh, not just 
literacy for literacy's sake, but also uh, as a common touchstone that could help us communicate with each other. Uh, that was one of the other reasons why he so highly valued books. Do you, do you have a sense uh, from your research that that how he had an impact on libraries and from a national perspective, or at least from, from a New York perspective, we probably know he, he probably did a lot for, for libraries in New York State and New York City. Um, but do you have a sense from your research what he's done for libraries and kind of a raising the the value and the awareness in, in the early part of our world in, in his time? Well, I think he was involved in that. He maybe was a bit more involved in the museum world than the library world. He played a really important role in the Smithsonian Institution and uh, New York Library, Natural History Library. Um, if you go to the Natural History Library in New York right now, you'll, there's still a statue of Theodore Roosevelt in the uh, interior of the museum. Um, but um, but he believed in these public institutions. His father also did. He was really influenced by his father. His father was very much engaged in civic life and felt that, you know, they came from money, but he felt that that resulted in responsibilities and that you should do something with the money that would better somebody besides yourself. Um, and so he would donate money and his father donated money to cultural organizations like museums and libraries and, and, and organizations like that. He was also a promoter of uh, academic uh, enterprise in a way. He was involved, he was a member, and in fact, he was in some ways the president of the American Historical Association. Uh, and he wrote, he wrote quite a number of books that were about American history. And he felt that um, uh, we needed to, uh, as Americans, write our own history and, and, and realize that we have a story to tell. Now, yes, from a contemporary point of view, his historical works, especially about the settling of the West, which was something that really fascinated him, um, uh, have a kind of a, a, a 19th century sort of feel to them, you know, with the expansion of the West and all of that business was... Um, uh, you know, would, would now be called into question in terms of attitudes toward American Indians and such. But um, it was something that deeply interested him. And it's kind of hard. I mean, people like to uh, overgeneralize, I think, about people from earlier time periods and label them, and you know, with a simple thing of calling people colonials or racists or this or that. But when you really delve into Theodore Roosevelt's life, it was always... Yes, he reflected the values of his time and the attitudes of his time, but he pushed the envelope, to use an old cliche, he pushed that envelope beyond what most people would do. For example, um, uh, he was friends with Booker T. Washington, and when he was president, early on in his presidency, he really liked up from slavery and he invited Booker T. Washington to the White House, and then they had a, and then invited him to dinner because he was wanting to talked to, to uh, Booker T. Washington about his book. Well, that caused an absolute uproar, especially in the South. What is this man doing inviting a Black person to the White House to have dinner? Um, that was something that just was considered to be unacceptable. But Theodore Roosevelt did not back down off of that. Um, and in fact, invited Booker T. Washington even after that uproar to the White House again, a couple of different occasions. So, um, uh, you know, he he um, he thought for himself. 
Yeah, he didn't strike me as a guy that looked at opinion polls and cared what what people said. He said, I'm going to do what I want. I've got an agenda. He felt strongly about a lot of things. You know, you think about his involvement with the Panama Canal when when he was Navy secretary. Uh, When you look at at, um, his sort of Wild West life, there's a story I've heard, and maybe you've heard it, and I'm not sure if it's apocryphal, but it sounds fun to me anyway. Uh, I think I heard it like like on, you know, PBS or This American Life or something like that, where he was working as like a sheriff's deputy somewhere and he had to get some some robbers, some bank robbers from one part of the state to another. And they had to camp out for like two and three days. And he had these guys handcuffed together and he he fed them and they had to sit in the boat while he paddled across someplace to get them to drop off at this other jail. And it looked like it took like three days. I mean, he was by himself with these guys that are pretty bad dudes. And he actually got them to the to the jail. Have you ever heard that story? Yes, there's some truth to it. Um, so uh, he wasn't working as a deputy or anything official like that. But the Wild West was sort of wild back in those days. And there were he was involved in cattle, in the cattle industry, cattle, raising cattle and whatnot. And there were uh, lots of problems related to that. And uh, people would steal cattle and, and whatnot. And so um, there wasn't... A, really good system for dealing with people who would do things like that. So people kind of took the law in their own hands. And now well, that would not necessarily be a good idea, but there really wasn't much alternative back in those days when he was living in, um, uh, when he was a rancher living in what is now North Dakota. Well, at that time it was uh, the Dakota territories, um, the Dakota territory, which eventually broke into South Dakota and North Dakota. But um but it, there, there wasn't a strong law presence. Uh, and so, you know, he was operating in that context. The funny thing about that was while he was doing that, he was reading Anna Karina. Um, uh, so he, 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 you know, he, he had this kind of bifurcated life. You know, he'd be reading this famous work of Russian literature while at the same time um, uh, dealing with cattle thieves. <laughs> so it was a, uh, he, he was such a complex person. One of the things I think we need to avoid doing, but it's natural for us to do it, is to engage in a certain amount of hero worship. And so we look at somebody as a hero. You, that's an impulse, especially when you're younger, to look at somebody as a hero. And then you get a little bit more educated and you realize that they didn't, not everything they did was wonderful. Um, and then you have the opposite of people saying, oh, well, I used to re- admire him, but now I don't anymore because uh, he did this or he did that. Um, I think really it's more interesting to look at people for what they really are, which is I oftentimes refer to people as a bundle of contradictions. Um, and they could say this and they could do that. And, you know, that's just the way people are. Um Sometimes when you try to see how people reconcile their contradictions or how they move their positions over time, uh, that shows you a certain amount of intellectual character growth in a way. See that with Theodore Roosevelt with the idea of uh, giving having women have the right to vote. Well, Theodore Roosevelt was always pro-suffrage, always supportive of women having the right to vote, but he, he, he never, it wasn't a big agenda item for him until he became friends with Jane Adams, and she was a big advocate of women having the right to vote. And he changed his he changed his tune and said, you know, I, I'm I'm on board. I'm gonna do I'm I'm with you. And in fact, when he ran for president uh, under the Progressive Party, or sometimes known as the Pullmoose Party, 
uh, one of the main things on, on his uh, platform was that women should have the right to vote. Um, and he uh, he was outspoken advocate for that. But he didn't start off that way. He grew into that position. Yeah, he just, you know, he strikes me as kind of a, 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 a superhuman, you know, reading and education and sports, sporting life and the and the you know, going out into the wilderness and fending for himself and running businesses and and doing things, just a just a larger than life guy. Um, I had an interview uh, opportunity to interview Story Musgrove, the the astronaut, and he he at the time he was one of the most traveled uh, astronauts we ever had in the space program, and he worked on the Hubble Space Telescope. And you look at that guy, he's got, you know, a medical degree and he's got a, a astrophysics degree. And I mean, he's just superhuman. So you look, there are, there are people in our lives that come across and just say, I'm going to absorb and and just grab everything I have in terms of content and subjects and education and information. He just seemed like one of those guys, multi-literate and, and of such a variety of things. And, and you know, that I wonder whether that gift is lost these days where people are just, you know, I, I focus on one thing. This, this guy knows a lot about a lot. And I, that, that's why I think he's such a fascinating character. Yeah, I, when I wrote, uh, wrote uh, Theodore Roosevelt in this library at Sagamore Hill, the end of the book, second half of the book, is a bibliography of every book that is in the house, that is still in the house. Now, that doesn't mean all those books were books that Theodore Roosevelt or his wife owned, but that doesn't mean that was the only books, because, you know, after his death, the kids came and took some of the books and some of them just disappeared. Um, but when you look at the books that are in his house, still to this day, you can see such a wide range of interests uh, from things related to science. He was very engaged in science, from things related to history, things related to uh, poetry and classic literature. Um, he was he was a man of many, many interests. And if he became interested in something, like at one point he became interested in ancient Irish sagas. One of the essays I include in my book about Theodore Roosevelt on books and reading is this long scholarly essay about ancient Irish sagas. And one of the things he liked about these old sagas is that um, oftentimes they had female protagonists and that intrigued him. And he wrote about this and this really erudite essay. It's like, how did he become so knowledgeable about this? But if he became interested in something, no matter what it was, he would uh, immerse himself in it. And so if you go and look at the books that are in his house, you can see what a well-read person he was and how diverse his interests were. And that really, I think, enabled him to be able to communicate with so many different kinds of people because he knew something about he knew something about basically everything during the time period that he lived. So so your book Theodore Roosevelt and his library at Sagamore Hill, you have a companion book to it and tell me about that one. It, it's just come out. Yes, it just came out this year. It's called Theodore Roosevelt on Books and Reading. So Theodore Roosevelt wrote about books that he liked. Um he was much more comfortable about writing about books than he was about writing about people. So uh, if you read his autobiography, which I have, uh, it's a peculiar autobiography, as you know, because he mentioned it to me, you know, both his wife and his mother died on the same day. Yeah, the, the Valentine's Day, uh, 1884. Right. If you look at his autobiography, it's not even mentioned. 
His first wife is not even mentioned. Um, he doesn't write about his personal life at all, but he will write about the books that he loved. Um, in some ways, that's safer territory for him. So I was intrigued by, well, what did he have to say about books? And what books did he write about? And what were his uh, points that he made? And how did he write about them? And so I I, I went through all of his writings, and if you take his writings, they collectively are about 20 volumes long. He wrote right. a tremendous amount, right. um, but and, and picked the things that, re, that were about books or the act of reading, uh, his approach to reading, um, and collected them. I didn't pick every single thing that he ever wrote on that subject, uh, but I picked enough that I thought would give you a feel for that side of him. One sure. of the things about Theodore Roosevelt is, you know, we think of him as this in terms of this strenuous life and his, you know, uh, camping and hunting and outdoorsmen. And that's all true. But he was also a bookish person who would read a book a day. Um, and it, it for him, it was not an either or. It was a both end. Right. Uh, when he would go out camping or when he would go on a safari, he had books that he brought with him. He would read at the time. Um, he never he, he never not read. He, I mean, he was always reading all, all the time yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and digesting it and processing it, thinking it through. So um, I collected some of those essays um, and uh, he wrote a lot of book reviews. Uh, his book reviews were always very celebratory. Um, he would write if he liked a if he liked a, a book that you wrote, and he wrote a book review about it, it. It it was always like this is the best book that was ever written. Sort of book review, just the kind of book review you would like. Sure, if you're the author, but he kind of shows you his interest. I try to pick out some of the book reviews because you could do all book of his book reviews. Sure, um, that showed the different sides of him, the different things he was interested in. So the the Theodore Roosevelt and his library at Sagamore Hill is published by Roman and Littlefield. Who did the the second book? The Roman other? and Littlefield as well. Oh, okay, fact, Roman. Okay, uh, their, their sister volumes. I had the same editors and everybody uh, that I worked with, and I don't know, uh, but it, it, I, you might be able to see it, Steve. Yeah, uh, got some it, some parallels there. Yeah, they 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 are designed to go together and, Great. and be sister volumes. Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks for your your comments on on Roosevelt. He's such a fascinating character. He's such a larger than life character, and you know we could talk forever about him getting shot while giving a speech, and 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 just so much that he did in in the world just to be a robust guy. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Well, I teach at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, so I don't make any effort to hide my email or in my contact information. So if you uh, just type in my name. I always use my middle initial. There are so many Mark Wests, including a, a, a rather nice wine called Mark West, Mark West Vineyards. Um, but I am the only Mark I West in the world. So when I so when I discovered that many years ago, I said, okay, well, for writing purposes, um, I always use my middle initial. So if you just type in Mark I West, you can find me. It's very easy to find me. Great. Thanks a lot for the the time and the information and such a such a powerful subject that you you could look at each facet of his life and find another book there for sure. Oh sure, and somebody has uh, somebody's written about everything. So, but I was the only person to write about this. That's um, right. And that's why we're talking about it. That I actually found something about Theodore Roosevelt that other people hadn't written about. Um, I was, I, I, it just seemed mind boggling to me that that something that had been mined over that thoroughly 
that 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 uh, that an old children's literature professor could find something other people hadn't gone over. But I think on some level, um, the book side of Theodore Roosevelt has been overshadowed by the outdoorsmen and politician sides of Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, as an academic, as a book person myself, that's the side of Theodore Roosevelt I relate to. Yeah, thanks for capturing that, Mark, and, and good to talk with you. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you, and thank you for the invitation.